episode 10 of, of, the, of the Ways of Possession podcast. We've got um, Alistair, as always, and um, hey, hey. new guest, um, who we've never had on before, actually. And um, Badgie, do, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so Badgie79, uh, stream a variety of different things going on. Um, yeah, I've been doing it now for, yeah, start of lockdown last year. Okay. All right then, mate. Uh, uh, yeah. No, nah, it's good to have you in, man. Sorry, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I think you're breaking up a bit, Badgie. Um, not sure if there's. We, we could do it with the cam. Um, you could. We could do it with your camera off if that makes it better. What I'll do? Give me two. Guys, I'm going to hardwire into. Bit of just. trying to go via the wife. Okay, cool. No worries. Fine. All right then, mate. Cool. Guys. No, nah, no worries, no worries. Well, while we're while we're waiting for badge, um, hope everyone else is doing well. Pretty pretty decent working on football for us, Uh Cheeky three one win against Aston Villa. I've still I've still not watched the game. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you watched that one. Um, yeah, I, I didn't catch most of it. Um, but it, it's a it's a, it was a good win, you know, to keep the sort of pressure. I mean, if if you could call it pressure, just <laughs> to see they they only need. To I mean. Points, but... It's not impossible if they they've got who they got left. They've got I know they've got Brighton and Everton. Um, I can't remember who they have next week. Let me let me let me get the interweb up. <laughs> we'll have a cheeky search. We'll fill in. We'll fill in the dead air boys while we wait for Badge. If Man City got everything that. is up and running now. We have a full connect. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll be all right. All right. Cool. All right. And I did watch the villain. Man U game and Villa were a better team first half and Man U sorry bud you keep you keep breaking up again okay, we, we, don't, we don't we're not too sure what you said there we, we, could, we, <laughs> we could try it with the cameras off yeah if you if you want to just if it, yeah that might help it must be a bad a bad line at the minute cool okay two seconds guys let's I'll, I will do. The connection via audio is always better when I do it on the Discord. If I go back into your commentary channel and then you want to pull me across again, Ella, and I'll do it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fine. I'll pull you back in. Yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> yeah, two <laughs> seconds, guys. Yeah, no worries, mate. Well, no, I just said I was searched. They've got Newcastle, Brighton and Everton. And you know what? You know, with Newcastle's current form right now, I actually wouldn't be too surprised if they manage to pull something off, you know. Yeah, I mean it's as as each game goes on, sort of pressure builds on City. And I mean, yesterday was sort of a big chance for them to get some points. I mean, I'm not sure if you saw the penalty by Aguero. Um, oh but, yeah, and I think I think Pep kind of bottled it a bit tactically as well. I don't really know what what he was really going for. Um, in that, with the formation he was playing, off something about outlandish. I think uh, he was playing more or less a five at the back sort of formation. Maybe, maybe trying something out for the Champions League final. But um, yeah, more more of the same Guardiola plays. I believe that. Oh, let me try. Pull badge back. Right, how are we, badge? Is any better now? Hopefully, if you can hear me, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Um, that that does sound about a bit better in the first instance. Hopefully, it stays that way. <laughs> How are you doing, mate? 
Have you been? Yeah, How's the weekend been? Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Obviously, weather was rubbish yesterday, but as you can see, well, is the camera is the camera on? Can you see me as well? Yeah, I can see. You. Yeah, the camera's on. The camera's on. How, how bad is that? My phone is better than my expensive gaming laptop. What a load of rubbish. Right. <laughs> um, you <laughs> so don't need it. <laughs> so the, uh, yesterday, the weather spoiled a lot of things, but I reclaimed the man cave, so everything came back in here yesterday. Other half, Mrs. B is now back in her office full-time, so I get to reclaim the man cave. Nice. All right, mate. Not not bad. Not bad. Not looking too bad. And um, I guess we go straight into it on the sort of uh, on the on on the topics we want to discuss today. Because um, obviously you you've been in. If you want to give a bit of a rundown on who you are, again, because it wasn't quite hearable last time. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, Badgy seventy nine uh, streaming um, a lot of football manager. I do uh, another. Um, show as well the little bit of other things going on every so often um but yeah i've been i've been streaming now probably since about the beginning of lockdown last year uh end of march beginning of april i first started uh and it was literally just a fill-in of time to, uh, initially and i'd never even heard of twitch before so so everything was very new in the early days. But yeah, it's been good. It's a great way of, um, I found it really good for sort of interacting with people you'd never come across in normal life. So Yeah. So who got you introduced to it then? If uh, if obviously you're not really heard about it before, was it just a little bit of a, like, I'm assuming like maybe furloughed or whatever, thinking, okay, how am I, I going to fill my days in? No, it wasn't even that. Do you know what? So there was a, there's a group of sort of, me and uh, three, four other friends that used to regularly go to the pub and watch the football. And yeah. obviously we suddenly couldn't do that. Uh, so um, they set up, uh, or one of the guys and another guy set up a, uh, a weekly podcast called Down the Local. Yeah. Which, which was essentially set up to have the discussions you would have down the local while watching the football. Um, and the other guy kind of dropped out of it um, after a couple of episodes and I stepped in and that was essentially, that was my first dealing with Twitch. So someone else was doing it. I got asked to uh, step in and fill the void and it kind of carried on from there. Uh, so, so, so where did football manager come into this? Was, was it the fact that you sort of enjoyed streaming on Twitch and then decided to sort of go with the games? It was, so essentially what happened was the guy I was doing the other show with, um, suddenly had his work patterns changed. So he went back to work, but he was working nights. So we couldn't do uh, the show anymore. And he said to me, oh, you know, you play a lot of football manager. You, sh you should just do that as a stream instead. So I thought, you know, why not? I'll play the game anyway. I might as well whack it on a stream and, uh, and other people can watch. And I'll be honest, I still get very confused why someone would watch someone else play games. But that's because I'm old. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and it, it still baffles me but now i'm one of the people doing it i always used i always used to look at you or people who would deem themselves as youtubers and i'd be like oh really come on now I'm one of them. and you know and do you know what inside I, i'm dying a little bit but actually it's been fantastic i've i've loved every minute of it so and i've also had the opportunity to give back as well i've done variety of charity streams and things like that yeah so always good because i feel like i am giving something back as well 
Nah, it sounds good, man. And you've done you've done a few really good stuff on there. And obviously, guys, if you, I'm sure at the bottom of this description when it's on Spotify and stuff like that, we'll have all links to Badgie's uh, socials and um, other other platforms that he has. So please do check him out. But I think I think the the, the main a key reason as to why it's a really interesting conversation to have with you is because of your involvement in the actual game itself. Um, So would you, would you be a care to share um, what it is you do in terms of involvement to the game and then lead that onto the way that it's been impacted by the likes of COVID? Because that's sort of the view that people don't see. We only see the the impact of um, how it's been for the big clubs. Now, me and Nahian back in, this, in November time, we went to see um, Newcastle Town play um, football. And um, who are like in the eighth tier of English football. They said yeah. that they get about 50% more people going to matches because they're the only matches they can go to now. Um, yeah. But I don't know if that would be the case for everybody. Because Stoke is quite big for football. There's big teams, um, big-ish teams anyway from the area. But it would be interesting to, to hear like what yeah. what your role is in that in that um, demographic and then um, how that's been impacted over the, the current situation we're in. So so my, my impact in football, I mean, I it, it's been a, a torturous journey to an extent. So I, I played at a really high level. Um, and then at 18, I... Um, ruptured and tore my medial ligaments um i've since had one naf operation uh one that they just didn't do anything and then one where they finally fixed the problem by which time i was 30 and okay it was kind of done and i was so desperate to carry on being involved in football because you know i i was playing games where i'd taken so many painkillers just to get through the game I played in a game and I ruptured my ankle ligaments and played for another 30 minutes because I was so high on the painkillers. Mm. Um, and I was so desperate to carry on being involved. I started then ra- uh, running a team on Sundays, Sunday league team. It worked out nicely for me. I'd been involved in Saturdays all the time. I'd lived in uh, Norfolk. Um, and it just kind of carried on from there. And the, the impact, a lot of Sunday league teams are sponsored by pubs. Yeah. Um, unless you've got someone playing for you who has their own business and a hell of a lot of cash, you're normally sponsored by pubs. And we tried to set something up because a lot of pubs were starting to get a little bit, um, a little bit anti-football in terms of they'd have a team go in asking for sponsorship, they'd get given five hundred quid up front, and then the players would never go to the pub. Yeah. So a lot of pubs were then saying, well, no, it's not worth our while. So we started setting up um, essentially cashback schemes where we would only get at the end of the season what we put, we'd get a percentage of what we put into the pub. So they'd keep a record of everything we spent and we'd then get 20% of that back at the end of the season as our sponsorship. So it's an incentive for them and it's an incentive for us. Now, obviously the problem with that is we've now gone... As a club, we will have gone two seasons without any income um, because the pub hasn't been open. So they've not been able to generate any money. So and we've not been able to go. So we can't then go there and say, by the way, no, you haven't traded for the last nine months, but you owe us 200 quid. Yeah. You know, you know there's got to be some degree, especially as we're, we're not, it's not a chain or anything like that. It's a proper local free house. Um, so the impact has been massive. 
Uh, and there's also been a lot of stuff around. So, I mean, we're quite lucky because we use a council pitch. So a lot of the stuff is done for you. But I know um, in the school pitches and things like that, where a lot of teams play, they weren't allowed to use changing rooms at all because of the, the risk of spread. Um, which is all understandable, but it still has an impact. If you're playing a game in December, the one thing you don't want to be doing is trying to get changed out in the cold. Mm. And it puts people off going because they know it's coming. And, you know, then all of a sudden there's a struggle getting players together and the seasons have been so on and off. We we played a game, I think the last game we properly played up until two weeks ago was in the middle of December. And all football was cancelled. So, you know, it's it's had an impact in, ter- in in actually numbers playing as well. So from that point of view, you know, normally you'd have a squad of 15, 16 come to a game. But all of a sudden, those people have spent time with the family. They've started to get into other hobbies where they've not had to social. One of our guys is now saying, you know what, actually, I'm really enjoying fishing and my boy loves it, so I'm not going to play anymore. Yeah, and you're losing players, and you're losing players like that. And the and the worst situation is no gyms or anything, so people are coming back so unfit that actually they're saying, Do you know what, I'm so unfit, and I just don't have the motivation to get myself fit again. I mean, this sort of has weird implications in the future as well, because I, I I'm not sure about the sort of age level, age range, um, you manage. I, so I did men's football. Men's football. So, so I mean, I'm sure the implications yeah. are, are sort of the same with um, lower levels. Probably even more. Could be even more so in some cases, um, due, due to finances. And, and and you know, in the future, where you know these lower level clubs, where they sort of you know might depend or would have depended on these players, they're no longer there. And, and yeah. it sort of you know changes the the dynamic in the future. Yeah, I mean, kid, kids' football is a, is, it's a little bit different because a lot of people, when they talk about grassroots football, they don't think about the full amateur side of things. Oh, yeah. They think of kids. Yeah. So when you talk about grassroots, people, companies are always happy to put into a kids' football team because it, it makes them feel better. It makes them feel like, you know, They've gone on a, a Jamie Oliver, Joe Wicks, let's do it for the kids kind of thing. Yeah, I get um, that. And they get more kudos. Promote, you know, promoting a football team with kids and having photos of that in their shop or their fish and chip shop or whatever, there is more, not respect, but people take more interest in it. Um, because mums will be like oh you sponsor a kids team oh my boy plays so if it's an adults team they don't care yeah and it does ha- and it, and so the money in theory won't have dried up the issue that you're going to have with the kids football is for a year and a half kids have been sat playing playstation or xbox and they've now got to be motivated to go back out and want to play again some kids will be gagging to go back others probably will be like nah, because they were pushed into it by their parents anyway and now they've had a good excuse to not be involved and the amount of drop-off you see from kids between the age of 16 and 19 from a football point of view is massive. 
Mm, well, that's when life starts to take over, isn't it, really, for somebody getting into that young adult phase? You know, you, you're you opting for college. I mean, it happened to a really good friend of mine, actually, who um, he, he was playing for crew. Um, and at, at 16, because of budget cuts, they released him. And yeah. he had he had offers from Macclesfield, but he in his head he's an outstanding player as well like we'd be playing a five aside with five on five and like one team would start losing he'd switch bibs and be like i shall i play properly now and then all of a sudden the scores are level again when they were like seven or eight goals off uh, because we're all we're all quite bad but um yeah. he, he had offers from the likes of macclesfield and a few others but in his head he was like I'm about to I'm about to hit 16 I'm about to go to college I can yeah. either all in it on football and probably not make it or I can get my head down and study and he he opted to get down and study now he's got a really good job um, I think he went on to do like biomedical science at um wow. a university he did quite well for himself but yeah. you know I think uh I think I think that's that, that that that's an indicator why like People were at those ages. You have to make those big life decisions and make make those realistic decisions as well. And I think you're just a lot more forced to go down that route now if playing football isn't really an option anymore. Yeah, and I mean, even at our even at our level, I think a big problem is you get to kids are playing 16, 17, 18, and they're playing like youth football up until that point, and they could be the biggest, the strongest, the best at that age, but when they suddenly come up against men who are 27, 28, 30, all of a sudden they don't get it all their own way. And the motivation drops very quickly because they've gone from being the best to suddenly not being the best and getting kicked. And they don't fancy it as much. And you see them drop off quite a lot. And then also, obviously, the pub suddenly becomes a viable option. And uh, Saturday night becomes the night out and Sunday morning becomes irrelevant. And I mean, I remember playing in Reading and um, on Sundays and the top division on Sundays in Reading was full of players who'd been released from Reading, had been released from uh, teams uh, South East London, South West London. um, And they were all playing in that league. And it was just, it was ridiculous, the level. Because shops weren't open Sundays. Companies didn't trade on Sundays. So you actually sometimes would see the best players playing then. But now, obviously, trading hours and everything else has changed. So it's had a massive impact as well. Mm, there's more options for people to do so, whether they take it or not. is yeah. is quite different. So, like, obviously, you're somebody who's in that field. And, I mean, it's great to talk about it because there isn't many people who would have that insight. What sort of, what sort of building blocks would you say... Other ones for not 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 only not only for the kids because obviously yeah. that's an important thing. If you're looking at it from that sort of, um, we want you know English football to be the peak level. Obviously, um, the kids are important. But how 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 would you set about putting those building blocks in to ensure that sort of that grassroots level at both the the young and the and the older level don't die and they're able to be self sufficient and self sustainable. Um, I think the costing is such a big thing. You see so many things where, oh, the FA have put X amount of million into grassroots football. I've got no idea where they're putting it. (laughs) Unless it's going into kids' kids football. For an average game for us, the average game for us to play a home match, the cost is around about 100 quid. Mm. 65 quid is a minimum for the pitch. 
and 35 quid upwards for the referee. Um, you know, so that's 100 quid per game. You're then looking at that over the course of a season. You, that for To pay to be affiliated with the, the FA, it costs us, for two teams, 300 quid for a season. We then have to pay every player we sign on, uh, pay for every player we sign on, which costs us another 50. We then have to pay enter the County Cup, whether you want to or not, you have to pay for it. We then have to pay to affiliate to the league separately as well, which is another 100 quid. So, you know, and that's bef- and that's all the that's all the outlay before you've even considered kits, end of season awards and trophies and all of that sort of thing. So the money that goes in, I think the money goes into grassroots football, but where it's then dispersed out of it, I'm guessing what they're doing is building all the 3G pitches and putting all of that stuff into place. But if you haven't got the money to go and pi- pay for one and hire one, then it's a pointless exercise anyway. Yeah. Um, so uh, theoretically, I think it should go into subs- uh, subsidising the castle pitches and things like that. So the cost isn't astronomical. And I think that will help a lot of teams. It, you can understand if, if every week the outlay was maybe 60 quid, then every season a club wouldn't need sponsorship because if you had every player per week or all of the people who start or play 90 minutes or pro or whatever, pay a fiver per game. At the end of the season, you'll have a surplus of cash and the club is sustainable for another year and you yeah. don't need to worry about that sponsorship. But a hundred quid, there is no surplus. And every, and you see clubs folding left, right and centre. I took over running this team 10 years ago and at that point there were... 84 teams in the league, something like that. It's now 40, 46. Mm. So in 10 years, 50% of the teams have dropped. And bearing in mind, there are new teams joining the league every season, but there are more dropping out than there are coming in. And part of that is the cost of it. Part of that's the cost of it. Part of it is not having those new younger players coming through and wanting to play. But... You know, it's not the problem. Is it's not gonna, it's not gonna change while all the all of the money that's deemed as going into grassroots goes into the youth side of things. And don't get me wrong, I think it's a great way of doing it. It helps kids. It builds so many different attributes in life for children. But that it, it just stops, and it, it can't. It needs to be. It, it's proven that it's, it's really good for people's mental health. We all know that sport and exercise is good for your mental health. It's good for these things, but it's not good for someone's mental health if they've got to weigh up whether they're going to buy some food on the Sunday to eat for the day or whether they're going to pay a fiver to play football. Mm. Yeah, so because um, I, I didn't know there were so many costs involved in terms of running running that sort of aspect of the club. And so yeah. I think that then begs the question about the revenue sources and if you what do you make a profit on the team every season basically I mean the only the only two revenue sources I can think of is players playing fees and yeah. sponsorship I don't I don't think you could really charge people to watch a game when it's happening in the local park which is like the local Sunday league team that around mine used to do and I used to watch them every now and then um yeah. uh, I, I, I didn't pay anything um so like what 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 is what is how how do, how do you then create that income and revenue coming in so um if you're creative <laughs> essentially <laughs> yeah um, uh, yeah i mean theoretically because all of these teams are amateur you're not you're not allowed to well you, you can make profit but the profit has to then go back into the club 
but there are very yeah there are very few teams making profit um so yeah it is it's the players paying you then try and get players to pay a signing on fee at the start of the season but that becomes a bit tricky because if 50% of the teams are charging that and 50% aren't some players will just go I'll go and play for someone else yeah see risk so ideally you want to keep that cost out of it um and then it is the sponsorship and I think a lot of guys who play that's all they want to do they don't want to have to get involved in the other side of things at the moment we're trying to find a new manager um because I've done it for 10 years and I would like I still want to be involved but I'd like to be able to not have to be there every Sunday and have the option but trying to find someone to even just run the team. They don't have to do any of the admin stuff or any of the other bits, but just to run the team. And it's so hard to find someone who wants to give up their time for it. Yeah, because um, I'm assuming you wouldn't get any any pay for that. Oh, God, no. Yeah. No, no. There's, been, no, there's nothing to give. Yeah, But um, But yeah, but people, you know, when they stop playing, a lot of guys don't stay involved. They stop playing and that's it. They may move into vets, but they don't get involved in the running of the team or anything like that. Um, so I think the the general income, so one of the things I do for the streams, everything that gets generated through my stream then goes back into the club. It goes back into grassroots football. Um, because, as I said, you know, I'm doing the, I, I'm, I'm not doing the streaming to make money. I have a full-time job. I do the streaming because it gives me a release. And as I say, it gives me the opportunity to talk to people I wouldn't normally be talking to mm. and interact with others. So the financial side of it has absolutely no implications. So I'm happy then to give that back into the grassroots football. And as I say, I'm, I'm so vested in the, uh, in the club now that I don't want to see the team or club fold because the sponsorship from the pub isn't going to come in and you're then relying on pay players paying and you're chasing people all the, way, all the time for cash. I don't want to be doing that. So it's doing it this way round so that there is some money still going into the club and it does keep it a little bit more sustainable and it's not huge amounts, but it's just a little top up. No, fair. Yeah, how you doing, Rish? You're coming in. Coming in. Coming <laughs> I see part of the discussion, yeah. Yeah, now we're getting into obviously Vaggie runs runs a club. <laughs> so you know that's always that's always a good talk point, and it's probably something we're not going to get the opportunity to talk about again. Um, so it's always good unless we manage to get Spencer FC in, which uh, I'm, not, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure we could. Some of the hashtag United <laughs> boys. I don't think we're that big yet, but um, <laughs> yeah, <still> <laughs> we'll, like, we'll, make, we'll make do with Vaggie. Vaggie FC is bigger. <laughs> just, just to give you uh, uh, an idea of the sort of the level of our team, uh, the, one of our guys who played for us in the cup last week, week before, was at hashtag United on one of their open trial days the other day. Okay. So he he and he is he is very very good. So you know he could end up rocking up with hashtag United at some point in the very near future. Could we get a? A little nickname for him, or a name, or anything you can give out. <laughs> name drop every. Uh, so his nickname is Simi. All right, there you go. Watch out. All right, we'll keep, we'll keep, we'll keep it. Now. We'll keep it. Yeah, I was, 
I was going to say is a sort of, you know, the gap is also probably widening between, you know, the top level clubs because they're still training. You know, they they, they, they yeah. have the facilities. You know, you have even the League One, League Two clubs, even the, you know, the semi yeah, the yeah. semi pro clubs are, are still game players and still playing matches. And, um, yeah. You know, the sort of gap between, you know, grassroots football and, and, and I'm sure you play competitions with higher tier leagues and, and, and it sort of, sort of gets more difficult to compete. You know, if you're losing players also, it, it's sort yeah. of, you know, hitting you competitively. It's, it's, it's a really hard one. We've been, we've been really lucky that each time we've lost a few players, we've brought in a few others and they've turned out to be really good. Okay. And I think, you know, we've, we've progressed the team drastically. So when I first took over, the average age of the team was about 33, 34. I was one of the youngest people involved and I was running it. Um, so within two years, all of those guys had pretty much stopped playing. So it was a full rebuild. And we're, we've been lucky that we just kept doing that and kept rebuilding. But it, it's very noticeable now that we aren't getting the younger guys coming in. Um, we had a few guys who are uni students, but they're not from here. They're all going back. So you're then living in the hope. I mean, Norwich has got a massive university. So you're living in hope that you'll get those boys come in. But then you are creating yourself a guaranteed three, two, two to three year turnaround of players every year. Mm. So it's sustainable, but you're never going to be able, you're, you're always living in hope that the next batch are good. I guess like, since you, you know, you got involved in the club and you and you, you told us that it's, it's very difficult. It's rare for guys to, after they're done, they're playing this to actually be involved in the running of the club or the coaching of the club. So yeah. what made you get involved? And do you think those incentives can be recreated so that we get a lot more people being involved in the running of clubs at grassroots level? My, mine, well, we sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, Rich, but my, mine was just desperation to still be involved. Um, I had multiple knee ops. I knew I wasn't able to play every week, but I was so I, I, I enjoyed the banter. I enjoyed all of that side of things with with teams that I've played for in the past. I'd never come across these guys um, when I first took over. It was completely out of the blue. Um, I saw that they were looking for someone I'd had. So this would they were looking for someone to take the team forward the following season, or they were going to be folding. Um, that was in the April, maybe the May, but I'd only just had my last knee off. I had that in the January. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to play. So it was like, well, actually, from a personal point of view, I do get frustrated. I get frustrated when I see people managing Sunday league teams and picking themselves every week because I think it sends the wrong message. Unless you are by far and away the best player there, I think it sends the wrong message to the rest of the players. So I've all, so I knew I was in a position where I couldn't do that. Um, so mine was just that want to still be involved, that desire to do it. And I've, I've never done the coaching badges, but I've been coached at a, a very high level by other people. So I just nabbed ideas for things for coaching and things like that. And it's and I enjoyed seeing the progression when I uh, talking to a player and sort of saying, look. What you're doing there is great, but if you try and change it and do this and see how much more productive it becomes. And it was that when I when you see them put it into practice. And that gives me a buzz. And 
Mm. I don't think other people necessarily have that. I think people like playing, but that's about it. I mean, I wanted to go into sort of, you know, yeah, the positive aspects of coaching. But before I do, do you, yeah. do you Rish and I have any more questions? On, on yeah, I, I was, I, I, I was just, I was just curious about if, like, and if you ever had any players that came in who went on to, you know, play in any of the bigger divisions across, across, um, across England and that sort of thing. Was there anyone that, um, you know, went on to do anything really well that you know you were able to coach at all? Because I think that's always just a, like an interesting sort of feel good aspect. Um, no, a lot of the guys that tend to come in have already dropped out of that level okay. so they've been they've been at norwich or they've been at Deerham town which is kind of the equivalent level i think of hashtag united and those sort of guys um so they've been at that level and then dropped out of it um there's guys who have gone on and played for teams in a higher division than us or a higher level on saturdays but not to any sort of semi-pro level um because you don't, you just don't. Most kids now, if you've got a good player, they they're picked up early. Yeah. So if it was kids' football, it'd be a bit different. I know I used to play with players who, on Saturdays and Sundays, who got picked up late in their careers and went on to play pro football, um, but not not to the extent of actually training anyone. Because as I say, you know, they kids have either already been picked up or have already accepted they're not going to make it. You don't get scouts really going to Sunday league games. They'll go and watch the high-level Saturday stuff. Because yeah. the theory is, if you're if you're good, you'll be playing Saturdays and you may play Sundays. Okay, so I'll flip that question then to what's the sort of, what's probably like what's some of the bigger names that you've had drop in the club? Have you had anybody play who had a one time played in any of the bigger leagues around the country um, come to you to, towards the last stage of their sort of footballing days? Um, so we had a guy play for us uh, called Jerry Finch, who was, he never, he was never a pro, but he was at Arsenal as a youngster up until he was 19. Um, we had a guy, uh, but I mean, he was when I was early doors and he was sort of nearly 40 and he, I'll tell you, I've never seen a guy with so much neoprene. He was stuck together with like neoprene. It was ridiculous. <laughs> His ankle, shoulder, the guy was falling apart, but he was unbelievably good with the ball. Um, we had other guys who, uh, just trying to think back. So obviously, uh, Simi, who hopefully is going to go off to hashtag United and, do some bits there. Um, we've had guys who have been in academies at clubs and things like that and then come into us. Uh, when I played in Reading, um, I had I, I played with and against, um, whether you remember him, because we're going back a few years, uh, Neil Webb. I've heard of Neil Webb. Yeah, so he played for Nottingham Forest, Man United, played for England, but had loads of Achilles problems, but I played with him a few times and against him. Um Marcus Richardson, who'd done the tours of a lot of sort of League One, League Two teams, uh, probably about ten years ago. But I used to, I played against him a few times in Reading. Um, he was a he was a dirty git. Um, <laughs> uh, he was good. Don't get me wrong, but he, yeah, he was a bit filth. Um, <laughs> but there, there there was a lot of a lot of those guys sort of floating around who 
a lot of the players, once they stopped playing pro, didn't really at that point in time because Sunday's Sunday league was just that little bit rougher. Yeah. And you didn't get the ex-pros fancying it. Um, there was a, an ex-Reading guy called Stuart Bevan and his son, Stuart Bevan Jr. Um, I'm trying to think who he ended up playing for. Uh, but he, we, we played with him a lot when he was 16 and you could tell he was going to make something of himself at 16. He was, he was unbelievable. Um, and he was playing pro not that long ago. Was he, it might have been at Gillingham or somewhere like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, that sounds, sounds pretty well to, yeah, I mean, yeah, to have those experiences. I mean, you've been a coach for, for a while, it's fair to say. I mean, yeah. like, does coaching come easy to you? Does the sort of man- management aspect, so like understanding different players and keeping them motivated, understanding, you know, a bit like F- FM, where, where, where you have to understand like the sort of different personality traits. Man, and, more. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean on FM where I drastically fail miserably every time? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, you know, Badgie actually goes through putting together yeah. the training yeah. sessions on FM where yeah, exactly. uh, everyone else is giving it to his sister manager. Badgie's there like, "Now, nah, mate, we're doing it my yeah. way." But like, more, yeah, yeah, more so like the different personalities. Like, so, so would you say you're sort of good? Have, you know, that that sort of yeah, keep keeping players sort of motivated, get, knowing how to get the best out of them, basically. Yeah, so I think I think there's a lot of a lot of players are that that we come across have an element of arrogance, um, especially younger guys who come in and genuinely in a lot of situations think that they already know everything, um, and sometimes just let them get on with it because you're not going to be able to tell them they're not going to listen, and all that's going to happen is you'll get their back up. Others will come in and they will listen and take on board and and they will they'll be motivated. I think the the thing with Sundays and it go, it almost goes to a opinion of playing for England or playing play, actually playing football at all. Mm-hmm. On a Sunday especially though, you've got to get up no matter what the weather is, be at a ground at quarter to ten. Get yourself ready to play a game. You're all re- you should be already motivated. Yeah. I mean, if I wasn't running a club, I wouldn't be up a quarter to ten on a Sunday. So, <laughs> yeah, the motivation has got to be already there. And but you can see people will turn up. And it, I always try and one of the, the key things I try and do is create um, a a culture of everyone is a mate. Everyone's a mate within the club. Yeah that everyone has that little bit of respect. So they do turn up. They don't let each other down. And then, you know, and it then creates the whole, you win as a team, you lose as a team. No one comes off saying, oh, well, if you'd done that, we would have won. Because if you're a striker, or if you're a striker and you miss a chance and you lose the game, that's not the striker's fault for missing that chance. If you're a defender and you slip, and their guy goes through and scores. That's not your fault that you slipped. No one, no one is in there deliberately trying to play badly. Yeah. And if everyone played perfectly every time, they wouldn't be playing with us. Yeah. And it's it's kind of instilling that within the guys and saying, you know what, everyone is here. Everyone is paying their money. Hopefully, um, everyone is everyone is going to do what they can do. 
and you know you've got some players who are better than others, but no one is there deliberately trying to let anyone else down. The only time I ever feel let down is when someone tells me they're going to be there and they don't show up. And when that happens, they just get dropped. They don't get picked next the next game. I mean, and irrelevant. I'd rather go into the game with a bare eleven. I mean, yeah, that makes oh, fair, sense. Fair. perfect sense. I mean, I've I've never really played football for a team. Obviously, just been a big fan. I've played played with my friends, so so I don't really haven't really had those sort of experiences. But you know, it, for example, you know, keeping a striker out who thinks he deserves to play, or yeah. making a substitution. I know you like. I know you said you like to keep that sort of togetherness in the environment. But I'm sure there, yeah. there, there are sort of times that where, where people do you know get upset for not playing. Is, is that easy to deal with? Is, is, is that um, it's not easy to deal with because you're trying to build that 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 group of mm-hmm. friends essentially. So, but one of the things I will always do is so we we played in the cup the other week. And so we're in uh, Division One. We played a team who was second in the top division in the Prem, um, and the game was we were losing three two. And there was about 20 minutes left. And one of our guys on the bench, I know he can play most positions. So I asked him where he saw himself. He's watched 60 minutes of this game. Where does he see himself fitting in into the game? And put the onus a little bit onto him. And he said, do you know what? I don't think I will improve it if I come on. And he said, so just keep running with it. He said, and I'll keep warm. And if someone gets injured or something happens, then I'll come on, then bring me on. But don't bring me on for the sake of bringing me on. And that's the kind of culture that we've started to build. And that's what I want, because he didn't want to come on and feel like he wasn't going to perform and he was taking the place of someone else for the sake of it. Because then if something had gone wrong, he didn't want to feel like he'd let people down. Uh so, you know, and, and I like to give the people, I like to give guys the opportunity. I know some people will only play in a certain position or will only be able to play effectively in a certain position. But when you've got someone who can cover multiple, where do they see themselves fitting in in this game? Yeah. Because, yes, I'm, I'm running the team, I'm managing the team, I'm picking the team. But I want to make sure that uh, I'm getting the best out of each one of those players. I mean, and for me to get the best, for me to get the best out of them, they need to feel comfortable. They can give their best. I mean, yeah, that sort of sounds like sort of, you know culture. You know, you do see players being moved around. Obviously, in the pro game, obviously you haven't been able to win yeah. a set in the lower leagues. But are there any sort of proud moments you've had? You know, um, wins that you can reflect on that 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 you really enjoyed the most, or you know, decisions you made as a coach, which, from a footballing standpoint, which made you sort of. You know, proud or made you realise why you, why you do wake up Sunday morning? Um, yeah, so a few years ago, we we went on a season where we we apps. It was actually really entertaining um, because hold on a second, actually it's down here. Oh. So can you see this? Hold on, where is it? There we go. Okay. Lovely, lovely pink and black striped football kit. We went, uh, we went and got that. The sponsorship was a guy, uh, a photographer. So we had a pink and black football kit with a photography company as our sponsor and logo across the front of the shirt. We went into our first game of the season 
And the opposition were like, oh my God, they're wearing a pink kit. We were pretty good. We beat them 6 0. Oh. <laughs> um, and we went on that season. We lost three games in 27 and, and won the league with four games to go. Um, and it was the, the biggest thing from that season was we signed the year before we signed a guy who came in who was a winger and in pre-season I was like well we're not we're, we're not playing with wingers we're playing with a fourth we're playing a basic 4-4-2 um, because it suited what we had as, as a group of players as opposed to me trying to manipulate it to get what I wanted I ran with what we had as the options. So he started playing up front. And one of our preseason games, he spent oh, it was so many, so many times he was offside. Because all he'd do was wait for it. He was running straight through. So we had a chat and I was showing him about sort of bending the run, going around the defender. So he was quick enough. He didn't need to worry about getting beyond that man. He just needed to make sure he was onside. And he ended up this, he ended up that season finishing with I think he scored twenty nine or thirty goals in in twenty three games, nice. and he's now gone. He he then stayed with us for a few years. He then uh, when we had to fold, so I took a year out, and we ended up having to fold the first team that season. He went and signed for someone else, and in a game in one of the first games he played for them, they won ten one, and he scored seven of them. And better by Guardiola. <laughs> I, I, I claim all of this um, <laughs> true, true striker I've claimed 50% of his goals um, but yeah he, he's still playing he plays on Saturdays now albeit at a lower level because he's well, I think 33 now but he's yeah. still scoring he's still scoring a lot of goals and it's all and, and he's openly said it's all because it was the thought process around the runs he made and how to make them because he, he was a winger everything was straight lines me. So changing that up changed the way he played and changed the game and, and his output essentially. So I guess so from my my very limited coaching experience because you know, I'm <laughs> pretty young, right? One thing which I, which I've learned is like there's just some some athletes you just click with, right? Like yeah. you just start talking to them, you start teaching them drill, and suddenly you're like, yo, this guy is either very much like me or this is someone who I can just be just friends with, right? Yeah. And yeah. So I guess like what, how, so, so, you know, there's, there's those athletes which are definitely a lot more distant to you from you, and, but you still want to build that relationship so you can, you know, grow them and develop them. So how do you go around, you know, building those bridges with people who are much more distant from you because of, you know, personality or whatever reason? Normally those guys, they're, they, if they're distant from, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think there's too many people that I would say are distant. Everyone wants to be, everyone wants to be in with the manager. Everyone wants to be in with the gaffer to an extent um, because they want to play. And and there is still, even on Sundays, there is still that element of, well, if I'm mates with him, he'll pick me. Um, which isn't true, but I don't tell them that. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I've gone out for drinks with some of the players and, and they're, oh, you know, who do you think's our best player? Who's this? And what, oh, what do you think of this guy? And I'll happily sit there and have a discussion with them because I've got nothing to hide. I'm not going to sit there and blow smoke up their backside. I'm not going to say, oh, you're the best player, if they're not. Even if that's what they're edging for. 
and they'll be like, oh, can I, you should give me a run out in this position. Well, no, that's not your position. And we've got three people already playing there. And it, it's, it's not setting boundaries, but it, it's, it's managing people's expectations. You know, I wouldn't go in there and go, oh, yeah, all right, one game, we'll let you do it. Because then that guy's waiting to play there for however long, and it may never happen. Um, so it is, it's sort of saying, and then, you know, maybe if there's an opportunity, one game where you can just play this person there, you give them a run out because, you know, you, you're need, they're needed and they've requested it in the past. But you manage it in the first instance to say, nah. But because I'm trying to build that culture where everyone is a mate, we've got, there are groups within the team where there's groups of mates who will go off and do their own things together. But when they come together on a Sunday, that there isn't what I would call clicks anywhere. You don't have four or five guys going off and warming up on their own. Everyone does it together. And, um, and I think if I found players or if I found a player or two players that were a little bit distant, I would feel safe in the knowledge that someone within their group wouldn't be so distant and would hopefully bring them back in on board as well. So it is sometimes, you know, it is that thing of someone's disappointed get your captain to go and speak to him on football manager. There is an element of that. You know, you, you look to the the leaders within your team and you utilise everyone that's around you to sort of get the best out of others as well uh, and keep keep that motivation level high. Because, as I say, you know, if you're getting up on a Sunday morning to go to football and you're not motivated, stay in bed. You might as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds... It does... Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a normal situation, a bit like, say, say a normal workplace where you're trying to create yeah. that that together. There's sort of no different kind of in football, um, which, which is no. really interesting. To hear. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Rish, I mean, go ahead, Badger. Yeah. I, so I spent a lot of my working career, so probably between five and maybe 10 years working in training and development departments and training and development setups. So I'm used to being in front of people and talking about uh, talking to people. And I've always said, you only need to know a little bit more than the people you're trained in or talking to, because you'll be able to answer their questions if you know a bit more. You just need to know, they. you don't need to know everything. You just need to know more than, than the people you're training. And I think there are a lot of good players within our club, but there's no one with the same level of experience as I've got be that an age thing or be that at the level that I've played or been trained at or something like that. So I always try and put my point across as clear as I can and then individually tell those players exactly what I want to see from them. And I am very vocal when I'm on the side of the pitch. I am constantly trying to coach people through the game as well. Some people don't need it. Some people know where they should be and they're just switched on enough for it. But others do need pointing out you know, you're playing as a wing-back, you're stood next to the centre-back, or you're playing as a wing-back while you're holding hands with a forward. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, like, like I mentioned before, it, it, it does resonate alone. It's been sort of a, a huge learning, well, yeah, a learning experience, yeah, just talking to someone who's been, you know, who's been right there, and, you know, on the, the, you know, on, on the battlefields. So it's middle been, of everything. Yeah, in the middle of everything. Yeah, before I move it on, uh, yeah, I'd, I wouldn't, yeah, just give Rishwali, the opportunity to ask any more questions. So, I guess this is more about like you know the the coaching and and player, I guess relationship or 
I would even add the word duty because so I come from a wrestling background. That was like my main sport along with football. So in wrestling, we have this saying that you have to pay your debt back to the sport. So if you have been coached, if you were an athlete, if you wrestled, if you competed, you have to come back to the sport and coach or referee. You have to pay that debt back. Right. And in fact, I carried that same philosophy with football. And that's why I referee football as well. Right. So just kind of like from from your perspective, because that's that's a culture of American wrestling. Right. Or or just more like American sport. But like for from your perspective within, you know, your part of the world um, and, you know, your sport or the specific sporting culture which exists over there, do you kind of have something similar or yeah. something no do you do you plan on building something like that i it, it would be fantastic and i think it goes back to again we were talking i think that could be one of the things we keep seeing about um uh money being given back to grassroots football by the fa and things like that it could be something like that where it's incentivized i know that the fa do incentivize people to referee um matches and referees get paid it's hard to say referees get paid relatively well based on an hourly rate they're there for an hour and a half and they get paid average of about 35 quid which you know it's not bad money but then equally i see the abuse some of them get and i wouldn't want to take that amount of abuse to 35 quid so (laughs) yeah it's it's hard it's it's hard to do um the coaching side of things i mean the coaching courses are subsidized uh to an extent if you go through the norfolk fa and you're affiliated with a club and things like that you can get subsidized coaching but the coaching is of absolutely no relevance because you can go and do a level one course but it doesn't make you a better coach it just means that you've got a badge to say you can do it um so it's only when you start to get to the really high levels of the coaching and you start to hit like the um, the UEFA badges that they really start to give you new stuff. And it's 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 hard it's hard to process because I think yes I think there should be that element of people giving back and I do and and that's essentially why I do it. You know, I can't play anymore, but for the love of the game, I want to be involved. So I am. But I don't think enough people have that mentality. I think in, uh, so many people have, you know, they've finished playing and that's it. They're done. They're going to put their feet up and enjoy their Sundays or their Saturdays or whatever it is. Um, and, it, and it is disappointing because, as I say, there is so many people in there. I mean, I, I know my stuff. But there are people far more knowledgeable than me floating around who have got no interest. And it, it is disappointing. And I kind of, part of me understands why they don't want to get involved in the kids' football sometimes, because you have to put up with the kids and the parents. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that wouldn't float my boat. But it, there's always people volunteering in that level. There's not all the people volunteering in the adults' leagues. And that's where that that's where that needs to be put. And I, there isn't a way of incentivizing it because no one gets paid apart from the referees, the FA, and the league. The clubs don't. The clubs don't get any cash out of it. Um. So it is. It it always seems as though when you're trying to get someone to run a team, 
you're almost just begging and hoping someone caves. And if someone caves, they're not going to do it for long or they're not going to have their whole heart in it. And you need to have, because it is a commitment. It is a big commitment. It is every Sunday for 40 weeks of the year. I mean, Jordan has a question, which I'll come back to you, but Resh, a question to you, because, you know, you you have some experience with the grassroots in America. Is is, is there any, you know, sort of takes you could give us on what's going on there? Like, are games still going on? Or are there, you know, sort of gaps you've seen? So pretty much... The, the games for academies are still going on. In fact, my little brother, he's he's at a game right now. <laughs> yeah, but it's like a, a lot of the recreational stuff, and by recreational, like, you know, just like house leagues and stuff like that, uh, some of them are on pause. Some of them are back on, depending on, like, where, which state, where you're located, etc. Yeah. Um, and I, the, the, the high school stuff is restarting again. So, you know, things are things are opening back up, which is good. But I think like the best part of it all was the fact that the, the academies like stayed open during the pandemic, you know, and they kept on training, which is like that's essential because that's where all our best talent is, right? And yeah. I think like at, like now, and, and I and I don't know maybe maybe it's just like because just the the sporting culture in America is like this, like a lot of the guys who came earlier. Right earlier in the sport, about 20 years ago, right? Because that's when American football was just very much in its infancy. Those guys faced the abuse of being a small sport, right? Like mm-hmm. they weren't taken seriously. They weren't funded. Things were hard. And yeah. those guys are bringing all this passion, all this energy into this, this their youth programs, right? And because of that, you know, these guys, because they, first of all, they weren't accepted by the established football fan base in Europe or South America, anywhere. And then they weren't accepted at home. So because of that, they kind of became like this this ball of synergy. And it's it's brought in a lot of information, a lot of talent, a lot of dedication, a lot of love into the academy system here. That's why, like, when people wonder, you know, why are suddenly there's so many Americans in Europe? Why are there guys like Polisic or McKinney? It's because, well, because their parents were, like, literally the foundational pillars of the sport and were bringing the stuff in. In fact, Polisic's parents, they played at my university, Hall of Famers, right? And yeah, they're both amazing. But, you know, like I said, like after their college careers, like they had pretty much nothing. Like his dad played like indoor league and stuff like that. But there was there was just no infrastructure. There was no third division, fourth division, fifth division. Or if it existed, it was like amateur, basically. Right. So now it's like those people are now the ones who are like, okay, we don't want this to happen to the next generation. And there's this urgency and this like deep desire and demand to win the world cup and the thing is that desire is not just at the highest level it's at the grassroots level it's it's what we talk about it's what we dream about i guess like perhaps there's a saturation in england which is causing a bit of apathy right because you guys have won a world cup you guys you guys have a a strong culture you guys have a great national team you know there's no like hunger to i mean there i'm sure there's hunger I'm not denying that. There's definitely hunger. Otherwise, you won't be this good. But that, that you know, like the hunger which places like Brazil or France have, which where it's like it's all or nothing, you know? I feel like maybe perhaps that's what's going on with English grassroots football, at least at this moment. But I'm hopeful that after the Super League debacle, there's going to be a lot more people turning towards those local clubs. 
you know, maybe not amateur, but even if it's just semi-pro, like that's still something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think I've, I've spoken to people who run youth teams. So not the academies of clubs and things like that, but just youth teams, uh, kids football. And they are very, you've got a group who are very much a case of we're doing this for the community, giving the kids somewhere to go and play, do this sort of thing, build that team mentality, team spirit, all of those sorts of key attributes that you need, that you need to an extent as a, as a human being. Um, but they are also very much in the mentality of we want to win games. There isn't, I've not come across someone, and actually it's a little bit disappointing, and I've not come across one of them who wants to coach and help create the next superstar. They want to create the best team that they've got at the moment. And I think if you're coaching kids, you've got to look at each kid and think, how can I make this kid better for himself? Not for my team or for my club, but for him. And give him the best opportunities. Because as kids, if they're playing football and they, they enjoy it, you don't you let them enjoy it but you try and give them the tools so they can be the best they can be with it as well. Anyone who, yeah, anyone who tells me that they enjoy playing football, whether they win or lose, will probably lose quite a lot. Because it's so much more enjoyable when you win. 100%. I mean, yeah. it, I think the... Like the only, the only issue which I've seen with like the win, the, you know, the winning mentality is like sometimes it, it it puts kids off of football. It's or, or honestly any sport. It can take people away. It can it can crush sometimes their confidence, especially if their parents are overbearing about it. Right. So yeah. I, it's like that balance. You you want that winning desire. You want that winning mentality, but also you just want them to be able to enjoy just having the ball at their feet. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I think that I think there's definitely a point in time where you start to build that winning mentality more. I think, as I said, you know, with kids initially, you want them to play and enjoy it, and they will find that they enjoy it more when they win. That pressure shouldn't come from anywhere else, and it shouldn't necessarily be something they put upon themselves. But everyone enjoys more when they win, whether it's a game of cards or a poker match with friends or. You know, just uh, I don't know anything down, down in a pint in the pub with three people, and you come first. It's more of a celebration if you win than if you're the person choking on your drink, trying to get the last bit down your throat while half of it's down your shirt. You know, it's 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 that kind of process, and it is it it, it builds that mentality. But I completely agree. You want to have that at a certain point. And you want the kids to get to that point. A lot of the time, you want them to get to that point themselves. It shouldn't be something that's pushed into them. I mean, I, I, I think, well, yeah, we, we, we had a question from George saying, would you recommend coaching badges? But I'll sort of rephrase it to, you know, an, an, an aspiring coach, say, with, with not much experience in the game. Is, is, is there any advice you would give to someone who, who wants to get into it? If you don't have much experience in the game and you wanted to, if you were looking, right, okay, so if you were going to be coaching kids football and you don't have much experience in the game, then I would be saying, yes, go get your coaching badges. Because a lot of the early stuff is tailored more for 
for children, essentially. It's very simple drills. It's very simple exercises. It's basic stuff around sort of um, cardiovascular. It's basic stuff around that sort of thing. Um, as I say, it starts to get more detailed as you get into, I think, like maybe the FA4 badge. And then when you start to hit the UEFA ones, it starts to get more tactical, more technical, more intricate and things like that. So for early doors and early starts, then yes, I would definitely recommend them. Um, as I say, from my point of view, I would have to, I think I would have to get through to the FA coaching four badge before I would necessarily start to see a benefit from it. And that's a lot of man hours to put in and the cost is still pretty steep. Yeah. I think to get to that FA four, you would have shelled out nearly a grand on all four badges to get there. Right. I mean, and quite a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. So like, if you're looking at it from that perspective, somebody who wants to get in, um, how, what, what would you say the best approach if you wanted to get into that sort of coaching, um, capacity what would you what would you say the best of approach to get into that would be from someone who just has absolutely no experience uh, first point would be to contact your local fa um every county has an fa set up uh contact the local fa find out when they run the courses and if they can send you any further information normally you can you could probably go on google nowadays and i say nowadays like i'm really really old um yeah you can probably go on google Type in the local uh, FA. I know Norfolk has got um, uh, the badges and things like that available on there so you can see the sort of things that are involved. YouTube, you'd be able to see basics of what they do. Have a look. See if it's if you think it would have been a benefit. But, yeah, contact your local FA. They'll be able to give you all the details that you need. And also, they will put you in touch with local um, kids' football teams and things like that to do it. Um because they'll be crying out for it. I mean, yeah, I mean, what? Go ahead. What about people? What about people want to be involved in like the adult game, right? Like you yourself. Yeah, I, that, part of the problem is I don't think enough people do want to be involved, and that's part of the big issue at the moment. Right. Um, I think. Uh, if people wanted to be again, your local your local FA. Um, I think if you if you don't have if you don't have the experience, and you are looking at a level one coaching badge, and you're looking to start managing adult football, I wouldn't recommend it because the players will very quickly find out that you're not you don't have that background knowledge and i think from from personal experience i think there would be an element of respect lost a little bit you can have managers who can go in and be man motivators and actually can just motivate people and and do that side of things or you can have people who are going and are tactically astute enough to be able to coach people get them motivated to an extent as well but, but coach them players will very quickly be able to tell who is who if you can't motivate if you're struggling on the motivation side of things because that's not your forte you're not brash you're not up in people's up in people's faces to an extent but sort of sort of cajoling them and getting them going you're not that kind of upbeat person that having those coaching badges will benefit you at kids level because like i said earlier you only need to know more 
than the people you're coaching. And if you're coaching a group of eight or nine-year-olds, after having that level one, you will be able to get them doing things that would improve them. Coaching 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds with the FA level one probably is where you start to, you'll start to see that wall because those guys would have had the basic stuff. They would have already been coached to a level um, that will possibly supersede that already. The the FA one, FA coaching badge one also goes through things like um, uh, safeguarding children. So it shows that it is built more for that element of the game, the children's side of things. So one of the cultures which which we have in the United States, this assistant coach culture. So basically the idea is that, you know, you have a head coach, the assistant coaches come in, whether it be for a youth team, whether it be for an adult team, adult rec team, you know, even part of the league system. And, you know, you learn from the head coach as an assistant coach, and eventually over time, you may even follow them to a different team. You may go assistant coach to a different team, or you may even become a head coach with enough experience. Kind of like a long-term apprenticeship, if that makes sense. And we have, and that culture is extremely beneficial to our sports across the board. And yeah. one of the one of the biggest reasons why, you know, guys after they're finished with their playing careers are able to continue that legacy of giving back to the sport is because you know they, if they're you know good friends with the the head coach, the head coach may be like, hey, like just you want to join this team, like just as assistant coach, and you know come every other day, come now and then. Eventually, as the you know, if they find that they can commit the time, if they have the energy, and they really you know love it, then they ended up doing it long term. So, do you have like a similar assistant coach, head coach culture for a transition? Um, we have had um, in the past, uh, and it it didn't work brilliantly. So we had, so I had someone I knew who. His opinion on football I respected. He was managing our reserve team. Um, and the idea was he was going to step up and then start managing our first team. But then his working patterns changed and he had to step away from it completely. Um, we then had someone managing the reserve team last season and that was all prepped to be um, uh, the next step for him to then take over the first team next season. And uh, then lockdown hit and he started spending more time with his son and he was going fishing and things like that. And he's now like, do you know what? Actually, I've really enjoyed the time I've had with him. He's really loving the fishing. I'm loving it. I'm going to step away a little bit next season. So it's it's a conveyor belt of people. And I think pe- people get frustrated very quickly in it. Uh, I think even even as an adult, you've got to, as I was saying about being, feeling like you've been let down by people because they've just not shown up. Some people get really angry about it and will be like, oh, I'm not having that. I'm, I'm going to tell them. No, don't tell them. Just don't pick them next time and say, look, come along to the game. If we are short, you may get to play. But I want you to turn up to the game in the capacity to watch, apologise to everyone you let down last week, and then we'll include you the following week. And then the ball's back in their court. If they show up, great. If they don't, then you make the sh- you you decide on what you're going to do the following week, um, and I think some people who manage teams really struggle with dealing with that sort of scenario, and especially when you know if you you're expected. If I feel ill on a Sunday, 
I still need to go to football because I've got the kit, because I've got the match balls, because I've got the other bits and pieces. If a player wakes up on a Sunday morning and he feels a bit ropey, he don't go. And if you're lucky, he might send you a message to say, I'm not going to make it, I feel ill. Um, and it is that kind of, it, it's a transition. And I think, as I said, you know, I think a big problem is players, when they finish, actually suddenly enjoy not getting up to go to football. And to actually push themselves to get up and actually go and run a team becomes a big ask. And I just, as I say, I think it's it's hard to try and coax people into doing it because as soon as you're coaxing people into doing it, you're not getting their full, they're not giving you the full attention and full desire. You've pushed them a little bit and they're never going to sustain, it's never sustainable. I mean, yeah, it sort of resonates, you know, sort of have to be, I remember seeing, you know, other coaching interviews, you know, as Rich mentioned about wrestling, you, you know, if they don't show up, like, you know, whoever shows up gets your time sort of thing. Yeah, and whoever doesn't, you know, yeah, you don't go. You, yeah, you don't go chasing people because it's never sustainable in the long run. Um, yeah, I, I, no, like, exactly. We, we've had you, we've had you talking a lot, so so and, and you know, <laughs> you so yeah, been yeah, learnt a lot. Um, so yeah, if there's any sub last questions you you've got for Baji, um, yeah, other <laughs> than that, we can. <laughs> Ah, yeah, I enjoyed it, Badge. I think it was a really good insight. There was so many different sort of variants and like variables that you just don't think of. So it's really interesting to get the view on it from the actual perspective. Turns out playing FM doesn't mean you know it all. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But now I appreciate the time, Badge. Obviously, Um, it's really good to have you on and get that insight. And you'll have to have to free up your calendar sometime in the future as well maybe make another appearance because it was a great it was a, it was a really really um detailed episode no, good. Sure. privilege to be here guys enjoyed it um, yeah i mean we, we didn't have time to talk about the ucl but next time we'll get you on to talk about some mm. you know real life <laughs> <laughs> talk about some, talk talk about some proper big games yeah, talk, talk, talk. <laughs> um, cool yeah. yeah, so Rish, if you want to... It was, it was definitely a very interesting perspective, especially since, like, obviously England is the home of football. That's where it was invented, right? And we're just, like, we just recently got colonized with football. <laughs> it's, like, it's interesting to see how the, how the different the culture and similar the cultures are, you know, different similarities. And I guess, like, one thing which, which I really hope to see because I love English football just because, like, there's just something so raw about it. And it's it's just it's captivated the world. It's the most popular league in the world. That's everyone. You go to Malaysia, you go to, you know, South Sudan. People are watching the Premier League, right? It's it's the pinnacle of football. And I really hope in the long run, you know, this. And I've seen this with say like Dutch football with like Ajax and like I mean that obviously is a big club, but you know in Spanish football where there's this culture from the very beginning when kids are young that they're taught like, hey, you owe a debt to the sport. Yeah. You know, and, and, like I remember being like, like what, like maybe fourteen, thirteen. My coach telling us, "You owe a debt to the sport. You and you, you got to. You should referee. You should eventually come back and coach or something like that, right? Or go, go to those six-year-olds as a thirteen-year-old. You can teach a six-year-old something, yeah. right? And I really hope to see that culture kind of come into England more, and and really like start from the, the very youth age, like you know, get get those that that ethos in when kids are still in the academies. Or still just in the rec leagues, and hopefully over time, like, because I feel like that would really improve the quality of English football. And 
as it is the most watched league in the world, like that would increase the entertainment for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. People who have been involved for a long time and played at whatever level have got some insight that they can then give back to others. So and it shouldn't be lost. And I think there is too much of it that gets lost. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, for sure, that's, for sure. That's everything, guys. Yeah, that, that, that's episode 10, I believe, of, of, of the podcast. Um, you, can, you can go check out Badgie oh, on his... I think this might be 12. Uh, yeah, uh, big, edit, big edit, 12. Edit, 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 edit. <laughs> 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 My hands chatting. But yeah, you, you, you can find Badgie on his, uh, on his Twitch. We'll, we'll Twitter and, you know, the rest of his socials. We'll leave a link to that. And um, yeah, it's been great having him on. Certainly learned a lot from my site, so... Um, yeah, no, it's been great, Badge. Thank you very much for the for the appearance. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Most welcome. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Uh, See you later, Go Anyone got any choices for a raid? Um, game legend. How how many? Oh, let's go. Big the the real true majority. Three Ds at the end, mate. I already know what you're going to ask. It's a capital G and L as well. Okay, here we, here we go. All right, yeah, well, that's everything, guys. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, nah, thanks, guys. Thank you very much for watching, and thank you again to Badgie. See you guys in a bit. Cheers, guys. See you. Bye-bye.